Two weeks ago, when we were studying in the book of Exodus, we actually went into the book of Leviticus as we were looking at the construction of the tabernacle. And you remember we talked about the holy place and the holy of holies, and we talked about the furnishings in both of those rooms, and we talked about the furnishings out in the outer courtyard, and, and we walked through those things. But then we got into the Day of Atonement as we looked at the Holy of Holies and the entrance of the Holy, the high priest, I should say, to present the blood upon the hot coals, upon the mercy seat as an atonement for the sins of the people to remind the people that it was through the shedding of the blood that there is remission of sin. But then we get to the book of Hebrews and we find out that the blood of sheep and goat can never take away the sins of the people. Only the shed blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus himself, slain on Calvary. It is through his shed blood that we have received forgiveness once and for all, cleansing once and for all, been made right with God once and for all, and never to lose that again as he is given it to us through his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look further in the book of Leviticus today, I'm going to go about 90 to nothing today to try to get through this. And it's just going to be an overview to bring out some truths out of the book of Leviticus that we can see the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as it is given in the Old Testament as shadows of what he was going to come and do, shadows of, of his ministry, shadows of his person, if you would, that he was going to eventually be the one to come and through his life of perfection, through his suffering and his death on the cross, through the shedding of his blood on Calvary, through his burial and resurrection, he has ushered in the day of salvation that when we believe on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, not to be renewed, but eternal life. We have everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ because all of the things that are given to us through the Old Testament, through the law, help us to understand that we could never keep the law. We could never live under the requirements of the law, which the children of Israel found out over and over and over again that they failed time after time after time. And even as we talked about before when we looked at the book of Exodus, that when they were presented with God's requirements for the, the life that they were to live, they would say, we will do it, we will do it. And they would already have failed at doing that. And Moses would throw the blood, sprinkle the blood on them to remind them that it is through the giving of the sacrifice of the blood of the innocent lamb that remission of sin is even made possible. But as I said a minute ago, in the book of uh, of Hebrews, we find out that those, the shedding of the blood of the animals never removed any sin, but gave a promise of the perfect Lamb of God who was going to come, and through his sacrifice, sin is washed away. And this, this group of folks living on this side of the cross 
We rejoice in the fact that our sins have been forgiven, washed away. We are cleansed. We are holy. We're purified. We're presentable to a holy God, not because of our goodness, but because of his perfection and because of his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Leviticus reminds us of holiness. It is a book about the holiness of God. It is that he is holy. Holiness is a lifestyle that is also demanded of God, of his people. And as I said a minute ago, he reminded the Israelites over and over again of his requirements for them to walk circumspectly before him, that they live in purity and holiness, and time and time again, they proved themselves unable to do that. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 2, for instance, God says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy because I am holy. And in then 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 in the New Testament we read, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Of God. Now, what is holiness? Well, holiness is defined for us. It is a Hebrew word that is translated holy, means pure, it means to be devoted, but it also means to be set apart. Our God is pure, our God is holy, and our God is apart from sin. He, he is set apart, He never He never sins. He never speaks or thinks or does anything that is not absolutely perfection and pure holiness. The New Testament word that is translated holiness, a holy, implies a separation. It implies a separation from sin and a dedication to God. We're to... We're to live in such a way that we, we desire, we strive, we dedicate ourselves to live separated from sin, but to live a life where we're giving ourselves in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ to honor him in the way that we live and are dedicated to his will for our lives. God's book on holiness is Leviticus' general theme is holiness with the primary purpose of laying down the requirements for mankind to have fellowship with a holy God. Though written to the Levites, I'll remind you, it applies to the life of the New Testament Christian perhaps more than any other Old Testament book. As we look back and see what God says he required of those who were his people. There are five areas of holiness that are talked about in the book of Leviticus. Now, you might want to jot these down. You might want to write down some scripture passages, because I do not have time to expound on all of these things, but to help us as we walk through seeing a beautiful picture of God's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ as presented throughout the Old Testament. First of all, we understand that we have a holy God. 
Holiness is the very essence of who God is. Not just the absence of sin, but a perfect nature. Perfect in every way. Not that he makes a mistake and corrects it, but one who never has made a mistake. He is absolutely perfect absence from sin. That which God has called holy is not to be treated as common, we find out in the book of Leviticus, but is set apart, devoted, and pure. Does that sound anything like the Christian life? Set apart, devoted, and pure, to walk in a life of purity, devoted to God, and separated from the world, world and separated unto our God. Under the old law, the Sabbath was holy, according to Exodus 16. The priesthood is, according to Leviticus 21 and verses 7 and 8, the priesthood was to be a life of holiness. Even the tithe is called holy by God in Leviticus 27 and 10. There is no doubt that God is pure and holy and always separated totally from all evil and completely devoted, completely devoted to his own perfect will. We serve a holy God. There is not anything about him that's not holy. He is holiness in perfection. He is holiness in purity. He is holiness in his will. He is holy in all that he is. We have a holy God. But then he calls the office of the priesthood in Leviticus a holy priesthood. They were selected only from the tribe of Levi. That was given to us back in the book, or will be given to us in the book of Numbers. But appointed to the work of the Lord, according to Levit Leviticus 8 and 9, serving others on behalf of the Lord, doing for others as God required, being properly cleansed, properly clothed, and properly anointed for the work of the priesthood. It was a laborious life. It was a labor from the time the priest went on duty until he went off duty. There was never a resting moment. It was completely full of activities day in and day out for the time that he was on duty until he was off duty. He was always working, always doing, always busy. He was committed to obedience. He was not to do <clears throat> replacing the showbread on the table. He was not to do it his way, but God's way. He was not to put the oil into the lamp when he decided to, but when God said to. He was not to do the other things. The high priest was not to enter into the holy of holies on any day he wanted to, but on the day of atonement. It was all set and done by God's provisions and God designs and design and God's directions for the office of the priesthood and the high priesthood. They were to follow that day in and day out, committed to obedience. 
They were submissive to the will of God, according to Leviticus chapter 10. But then when we come to the New Testament, look at the New Testament's design of the priesthood of the believer. The Old Testament people had a priesthood. The Old Testament people had priests that served. But when you come to the New Testament and you talk about the believer, you enter into the office of the priesthood as a believer. We are priests according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Listen to what he says. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood. So when you come into the New Testament, it's not about the priesthoods the Catholic Church would lead you to believe. It's about the individual enters into the life of the priesthood of the believer. Now, that doesn't mean we're to do all of these sacrifices and we're to carry out all of this stuff that the Old Testament priest did. It means that we have a privilege of having personal communion with the Holy God that there is no need of an office between us and our God. We move into the place of the priesthood of the believer, and we have communion and fellowship with the holy God as individual believers. The New Testament priest is as given there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Also in Revelation chapter 1, you remember on the Isle of Patmos as John is given the book of the Revelation and Jesus appears there to him. Listen to what it says in verse 6. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The priesthood of the believer called by God to a life of holiness. Did you know that? We're called by God to a life of holy living. Does that mean we're mistake-free? No. Does it not mean that we're or does it mean that we're not prone to sin? Absolutely not. We are. We still have our Adamic nature. We we are the sons of Adam, if you would. We still have that old nature that we contend with day in and day out. I deal with my nature as you deal with your nature. That is the old man that that gives us fits in the Christian life. If you really want to be honest about it, it's it's not the Christian life I have a problem with. It's my old nature that I have a problem with to bring it into submission to God's perfect and holy will to my life. But he has called us into that kind of a walk, called to holiness. Ephesians 1, he tells us that in chapter 4, I mean, verse 4, excuse me. Wash clean in Jesus Christ, cleansed by him. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, that does us in, doesn't it? Not inherit the kingdom of God. Every person in the room, maybe except for the very small child, identifies in some of those areas, if not most of those areas, in your own life. And it leaves us. But listen to what he says. He goes on. He doesn't stop there. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Hallelujah. (laughs) But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. And now clothed in his righteousness. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ Jesus. We, listen to Paul says, so so, so was some of you at at one time, but now you've been called out of that. Now you have been redeemed. Now you've been changed. Now you've been saved and you're covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, clothed in his righteousness. And we're offering spiritual sacrifices to God. The Old Testament priests always offering sacrifices. I mean, it was day in and day out, offering different. And when you get to read, if you study the book of Leviticus, you'll get worn out just thinking about all the sacrifices they had to give and the, and the different offerings that had to be made uh, on behalf of the people and the people coming constantly all the time with different problems in their life, different needs, different sins, different failures, and the priest having to go through all these things and, and lead these people through it. But listen, he calls us to make a spiritual sacrifice. Present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service according to Romans 12 and verse 1 making sacrifices to God, but also the great part of the priesthood of the believer is that we have an audience with the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have fellowship with a holy God. We have access to the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I prayed already and had fellowship with him. Have you? Each day we have the wonderful privilege, each hour, any time of the day or night, we have the wonderful privilege with a God who does not sleep, a God who never has to rest, a God who is never too busy, a God who can take care of your need and my need and the need of every child of his all at the same time without dividing his attention whatsoever. That blows my mind. But we have the wonderful privilege of walking into the throne room of heaven and having an audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the priesthood of the believer as it is taught in the New Testament is a fulfillment of the work and the office of the priest in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. A holy priesthood. A holy people. God's desire for his people and he gives to us in the Old Testament. Look at Leviticus 10, 9 and 10. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. 
that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, clean and unclean. God's different people. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, come out from among them and be a separate people, says the Lord. You see, as God's people, we are to declare him by our lives. We're to declare his holiness by our lives, by our devotion, by our testimony, and by our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. We used to sing the hymn years ago, Let Others See Jesus in Me. Let others see Jesus in you, I think is actually the way the song goes. While walking this life and living my story, let others see Jesus in you. And that's what we're called to do, that we would be a testimony that others could see Jesus in us. Come out from them and be a separate people, Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians. Actually, that is almost a direct quote from Isaiah in chapter 52. As God's people, we're to declare him by our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the promises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has a holy people. He is a holy God. He has a holy priesthood. And finally, well, not quite finally, there is a holy Savior. A holy Savior. Throughout the book of Leviticus, Jesus is shadowed, and his life and ministry is foretold. He is seen in the sin offering as the willing sacrifice, shedding his blood, atoning for our sins, and reconciling us through his sacrifice for all who would believe. Jesus is seen as God's anointed Holy One of Calvary. Jesus is seen as the high priest of God that serves and the mediator for God and man, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Jesus is seen as the pure and undefiled Son of God. Hebrews 4.15 Starting with 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us there come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and 
find grace to help in time of need. Paul writes to young Timothy in his first epistle to him in chapter 2 in verses 5 and 6. But there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. You see, Jesus is seen as God's anointed one, the Son of God. He's seen as the high priest that serves as the mediator between God and man. He is seen as the pure and undefiled Son of God who gave himself as a sacrifice for us. You see, to miss Jesus in Leviticus is to miss the point of the entire book of Leviticus. The main focus of the book is fellowship with God through the shedding of the blood of the innocent lamb. Fellowship with God through the shedding of the blood of the innocent lamb. You see, there is no fellowship with God without the holiness of Jesus. There is no fellowship with God without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There is no fellowship with God apart from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There is no fellowship with God apart from his ascension to sit at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us even this morning. There is no fellowship with the Holy God except for that that has been provided through the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Holy One of Calvary, who gave himself as a ransom for our sins to give us the privilege of fellowship with the Holy God. There is no forgiveness without the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Today, I am amazed that a God of such purity and holiness, a God with such high expectations, could love me. And that he would provide for me through the death of his own son on the cross of Calvary to give me forgiveness of all of the failures. And we even enumerated some of them a few minutes ago. And to give me forgiveness of all of my failures and to have fellowship with me and willing for me to enter into his presence and have fellowship and communion with him. But it's all made possible through the sacrifice of his son. You see, the law never brought salvation. The law always brought condemnation. You see, the children of Israel had to go through these sacrifices over and over and over and over again. And yet they were never forgiven. God just put off for another year on the Day of Atonement, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he just put off their payment for their sinfulness and for their unfaithfulness. And that Day of Atonement would come around every year. And the priest would put his hands on the 
head of the scapegoat and confess the sins of the people. And that goat would be taken far out of the encampment of Israel. And he would be let loose in the wilderness to never be seen again, thereby taking his sins. You know, we sing that song, living he loved me, dying he saved me. Dying he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. You see, Jesus took the place of the scapegoat and he took place of the lamb of atonement, the sacrifice of atonement. He took that place when he went to the cross and died for our sins. And Israel had that promise all of those years, all of those years. Yet they were looking for a king. They were looking for a king. They were looking for an earthly king. Missed the whole picture God's painted for them. And he started with their coming out of Egypt, out of their time of bondage by, uh, by giving of that sacrificial lamb, the Passover meal that he passed over them in death. And, and he would remind them that the life of the flesh was in the blood. And they could look at their firstborn child and say, the life of that child is in the blood that was shed and applied to our house. And over and over, God would be teaching them and helping them understand that their life was because of the sacrifice of the innocent one. And there was a promise that one was coming to take away the sins of the whole world, to die on the cross for whosoever would believe in him. But they missed the whole point. And he came unto his own, according to John, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of the children of God. I'm so thankful for that truth, aren't you? I'm thankful this morning that God so loved me that he gave his son on the cross. And he told us about it way back in the book of Leviticus, that there was coming a day of the sacrifice of the perfect lamb, and that one would take away the sins of the people. Oh, my gracious. God fulfilled every type of Christ in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God fulfilled every promise of forgiveness. God fulfilled every prophecy of salvation and eternal life in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on this side of that finished work on Calvary, we can rejoice in what God told us from the very beginning that he was going to provide. And may we live in such a way that we can tell a lost world in the midst of all the confusion we live in, in the midst of all the garbage that we're putting up with and, and all the, the politics that we hear about and all of the fightings and all the failures of our, our leadership in this nation, I want you to know our God never fails. And our God promises to save everyone who would trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and they could have forgiveness an everlasting life. No wonder the songwriter said, oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Aren't you glad? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of worship today. Thank you for your word. And, and Lord, as we've flown through the book of Leviticus, there are so many things and the sacrifices and the law. But Lord, the law teaches us that we can't keep the law. It is a schoolmaster to help us to understand forgiveness that is offered in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to walk in that. Help us to live in that every day. And we thank you for what we know in our Lord. Of course, in his name we pray. Amen.